This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. We're continuing with our exploration of North American neurosurgery programs, and today I'm delighted to be joining with David Harder. David is a pediatric neurosurgeon at NYU. NYU is a preeminent uh, university. My middle son goes to NYU. He loves it there. And uh, my anesthesiologist brother is the dean at the medical school there. So I know it's a wonderful place. Welcome to the podcast, David. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about our program a little bit. Great, great, great. Now, maybe you can tell us just briefly about what it's like to train at NYU. Give me you know, feel of what it's like to live in Manhattan and, and be in a training program. And you're in the southern part of Manhattan, right? That's true. We're in uh, Manhattan. We're on 34th Street. There's a complex of medical centers, including the brand new NYU hospital, the Kimmel Pavilion. Uh, next to that is Bellevue, America's oldest public hospital. And right next to that is the Veterans Administration Hospital, which serves as a tertiary referral center for the VA system. So we have a variety of practice environments right next to each other. Now, I don't want to go through a recitation of the of the rotations unless you want to. They're fairly typical, right, in terms of the training of seven years? Uh, yeah, I think we have all the bases covered. There's, you know, nothing missing. We have a very busy uh, endovascular and open vascular program. We have some preeminent skull-based surgeons like uh, Chandra Sen, John Golfinos, who's our chair, and then the advanced uh, Center for Advanced Radio uh, Surgery with uh, Doug Konzioka, who's a recognized international and national uh, experts. So really, everywhere you go in the department, there's someone uh, that you can find to solve the problems that come up. And the other thing that I would add is it's very collaborative and collegial. The attendings work together in teams very frequently to you know, offer the best for our patients, and, and the residents get to see that, which is something I'm particularly proud of. And it's seven years in two a year or three a year? Seven, seven a year, and uh, just last year we went up to three per year. So our current complement is 19. And we'll ramp up to a full 21 within the next couple of years. That's fantastic. Now, I actually trained at USC, which is based out of the county uh, program, which is LA County USC. And and you did mention that Bellevue was the original or first major county hospital. I think about Charity, Cook County, where JP is. And uh, maybe you can tell people a little bit about that because Bellevue really is legendary. I think there was even a TV show about it, right? Yeah, there's been a, a couple of shows based on it. Uh, the Nick was probably based on the early days of Bellevue. And I think it was the first public hospital in the United States. It, it got ahead of charity by about a week or two, but there's uh, historical information to, to support the fact that it's the oldest teaching hospital. The residents really, really enjoy it. So there's you know adequate supervision. There's two full-time faculty there. Um, but really, the chief resident um, is running the show. It's kind of a transitional year to practice, to independent practice, and they get to see a, a you know wide scope of cases from trauma. It's really where they get their trauma experience to uh, vascular, where it's a referral center for the um, uh, New York City Health and Hospitals uh, Corporation, and even peds and and other stuff. So really, it's really the jewel of the program. The residents rotated rotated through as a junior, middle, and then chief resident, and the feedback is just amazing. Paul Wong is the primary uh, site director there. He's been there for a number of years and really uh, has been a great mentor and really colleague for the chief residents as they come through. And do the chiefs run their own clinics there, or is it is it just another yes. practice site? 
Yeah, so they have an outpatient clinic that really is run by the chiefs. There, there are faculty there, but they they see the patients. They help the junior residents see the patients. They formulate a treatment plan. As long as that's reasonable, they get to decide. And and as program director, I think it's a very very important step uh, towards independent practice to gain that confidence and. The pathology that you see there, and you're coming from USC, I think it's a similar experience. We have patients get off of the airplane from JFK with scans in hand looking for our help, and, and that's the place they go. So it really has been a great experience uh, for the residents and also for the faculty to see the cases that the residents present and how they manage them and, and how they go through the process. It's really kind of uh, like the Ellis good. Island for medical care, right? <laughs> yeah, bring us your, your poor huddled masses. Your giant meningiomas, right? <laughs> loaded through the skull. Um, now, we didn't have at USC a VA hospital, which is another unique and wonderful training environment for residents, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So similarly to, um, you know, Bellevue, it's a, it's a PGY-7 rotation. And really, they want us. You have yeah. a PGY-7 at the VA? Yep. Okay, at, you've got yeah. to explain that to me because that's unusual. Yeah, because they, they really run the service. They do have supervision, Jim Stone who was at Rush for many years, joined us about five years ago. And he's a senior, you know, surgeon, has a broad experience with, uh, you know, neurosurgery and spine and peripheral nerve. So it really is a good fit because he doesn't need to actually do every case, but he's there for everything. And when they need subspecialty help, people will come in. Um, but it, it, it's a nice, uh, you know, step along the way, you know, again, towards independence where, they're running the clinic. They're seeing the patients. They're doing the follow-up phone calls. They they have help, but really, it's um, it's almost their own little independent practice for a bit. Wow, that's amazing. So, if you were to summarize what you think it is that makes NYU uh, sort of a unique training program, and it doesn't have to be one thing, like give people a flavor of what would make someone say, "I really want to match at NYU." Yeah. So uh, obviously there's geographic uh, <laughs> advantages. There's excellent restaurants. That's not the first reason, but culture and the place that, where you are is very important. But I think overall, um, it's not one size fits all. I, I don't see our residents finishing and all being put in one basket. They're all going to do skull base. They're all going to do vascular. They're all going to be academic. What I've My goal has been to help people find what they want to do in neurosurgery. Hopefully, that means making meaningful contributions, either academically or through innovation or through just taking very good care of their patients as they progress. I emphasize the fact that uh, the things that are going to echo throughout your career and, and your legacy are not only the patients that you take care of, but also how you figure out how to do things better, who you teach, how they teach them, and your approach to not only the patient, but your colleagues and kind of how you, how you conduct yourself. And I think um, that's been a very rewarding approach. We've had uh, you know, residents uh, do things in innovation, like uh, an app for uh, communications around surgery. We've had people get patents for um, endovascular devices. We had a resident start a company during his research year. He took a year off after his research year and started a, a company called Metavis, which is a holographic surgical imaging company. It's been, and I'm not conflicted there, so I can mention them. Um, but um, those kind of things really make me proud of the program because it shows we're nimble and we can adjust to the needs of the residents. The other thing I'm very, very proud of is, I mentioned it before, is really the collegiality. We have a cohort of residents that really look out for one another. And I think the communication with the faculty and among the faculty really is, is great. So I think the example is set from the top, uh, from the faculty, and it, it permeates the program. 
Yeah, I, I think that I could reiterate what Dr. Harder's already said. I know John Golfinos has done a wonderful job along with you, Dr. Harder, to, to, to really change NYU. And when I was in training, I had heard it was kind of a, I don't want to say malignant place, but it was, it was a tough place. Pat Kelly was a tough guy to get along with, even <laughs> though he's an icon and a lion in our field. But I think there is a different feel now than there was before. Would you agree? I completely agree. And I will tell you confidentially that I did not even apply for residency at NYU when I was um, applying just because of that reputation. I'm a native New Yorker and I didn't want to uh, join that. Dr. Golfinos has done a great job. Like he has no problem bringing in faculty who are very accomplished, knowing that it will make a bigger pie. We're not just kind of fighting over the same pie. It's going to be a bigger, better program with more voices and more skills around. And, and that, that really shows. Yeah, and just for our listeners to have some context, we're talking about 25 years ago, not like <laughs> yeah. last year. Um, let me ask you something specific about Manhattan. So mm -hmm. there are a number of programs in Manhattan, but we know it's very expensive to live there. I just interviewed the program director, Dr. Sadiq, from uh, Jackson, Missouri, and you know the residents there can buy houses and stuff. What's what's it like cost of living wise in Manhattan? Do the residents get paid more there? Yes, definitely. The resident, this, the pay structure is definitely different from most other places, recognizing the cost of living in New York. Um, the farther you come from, the more likely you are to get either subsidized or, uh, you know, dedicated housing for the house staff. Um, and many of the junior residents do choose to live um, in medical uh, center housing for the first year or two and then find something on their own. And they, they make enough that they can get a place. I'm, you know, I can't pretend that eating out is cheap or getting around is cheap, but um, the housing I think is, is covered by the, um, the place. Yeah. Well, Dr. Harder, that's fantastic. This does not do NYU justice to interview this way, but maybe it'll get people interested and give a, a small taste of what it's like to train with you guys at NYU. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate the opportunity. If anyone wants to find me, I'm easy to find on the internet. Thank you. Thanks. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast, here today with another installment in our residency spotlights for the 2021-22 interview season. We are delighted to have with us today Dr. Tech Sue, the Program Director at Ascension Providence Hospital in Southfield, Michigan. Dr. Sue, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for letting me introduce our program to the rest of the residency. Uh, let me introduce this uh, it is a community-based academic uh, neurosurgical program. This is unique in a way that most uh, neurosurgical program is attached to an academia with a huge research juggernaut related to a famous university. What is unique in this place is that it is a community-based uh, program. Uh, we do the whole myriad of neurosurgical cases, and you will have high clinical volume. You will have immense autonomy and probably be operating uh, uh, independently by PGY-6. And a typical graduating resident would have at least 1,500 to 2,000 surgical cases. If your goal of your residency is to be able to handle not all cases, but majority of the cases that you're going to meet in the community, this is the program for you. Um, 
because of the high clinical volume we have, there will be clinical research. We are very active in clinical research. Um, we do present at national and international meeting. Uh, we do win uh, a lot of awards every year, including outstanding papers award. We do randomized control trial, and we had this database of all the surgeries we have done collected prospectively since 2012. Um, I believe the uh, environment that I provide for my resident is very conducive. It is very uh, is is very cordial. There's a lot of camaraderie amongst the resident, and um, it will be a fun seven years, which I hope you get out of this both educational, fun, and able to operate when you become independent, and able to judge which are the surgical and non-surgical cases. We are applying for an Enfolded Spine Fellowship, which is in progress. I believe we will get it. Uh, well, Dr. Yes. Sue, that, that's actually something I wanted to touch on. As, as you mentioned, not being attached to a university or an academic center, I imagine that that has some implications for what your residents do with any elective or free enfolded time within the seven-year residency. You mentioned a lot of prospective clinical work being done and randomized uh, controlled trials. So how do residents spend the elective time within their residency? Do they conduct clinical research? Do they spend it on additional clinical or operative time according to their interests? What do your residents do? Uh, because it's a community-based uh, residency program, we lacked the whole spectrum necessary uh, uh, requ uh, the necessary requirements of the case complement. So in, in our program, we don't have enough epilepsy. We don't have enough functional neurosurgery such as Parkinson's. As a result, to meet the requirement of the ACGME, we send our resident to um, North Shore University Hospital in New York, New York for six months where they will be Besides training uh, the functional cases and meeting their complement, they will be introduced to a huge academic uh, program and to com compare and contrast the, 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 what is lacking and what is beneficial to them. So they do have a six-month period where they see adult neurosurgery perform at a large academic center. Um, in terms of... Um, what did you? What else do you want to ask about? Oh yes, no, Doctor Sue. Yeah. Let me let me ask you a different question. I mean, it's such an interesting program. I see uh, many programs that are newer trying to be sort of more community based, whereas all residency programs in the past were based out of major universities with a neurology residency in a pediatric hospital. So times are changing for neurosurgery for sure. So help us to understand what is your ideal resident applicant who should be looking at Ascension as like that's the program I want to go to, say, as opposed to maybe University of Michigan, right? Maybe that could help draw a contradistinction. So if um, the goal of the resident is to come out to be a competent uh, neurosurgeon that are effective, safe, and probably expeditious in their skills, 
I think we can provide that. Um, see, we are community-based. We started as a community-based. Now we are a huge juggernaut in terms of volume, higher than most places, although our brain volume is slightly over 200 a year in terms of tumor. That is not a small number to start with, but we do spine surgery by the thousands and over 90% of which is done with minimally invasive techniques. And I think that is the strength. After all, 90% of common neurosurgical procedure are spinal in origin. If you can master that and able to do it safely without opening the spine, that's where your, 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 your value in the community comes. Certainly for success, we have, have some sort of a correct philosophy and a moral compass. We have to do it right. We do it fast and expeditious and effective. And our indication got to be strong. Our outcomes has to be uh, good compared to any others. And hence our success, our product is good. Our philosophy is correct. So uh, we have a very enthusiastic core faculty because they all used to be my resident. So we have a, a culture of, of nurturing teaching and a family-like uh, uh, environment. And, uh, you know, I come from big university. I know how that environment, how nurturing that environment can be. But it is this, this is probably a paradigm shift. You want to be technically good, this program can pro provide it. Uh, also, in terms of research that you want to know, we don't have a MD or, P, uh, or MS or PhD program where you would be out for uh, three to four years. We do have a six months research block where we do analysis of clinical research. After all, clinical research is the end product of any basic science research that we do, and we try to facilitate that. We are involved in multicentral trials because of our high clinical volumes of spine. Now, Dr. Sue, as we're wrapping up here, we always like to give the applicants a sense of the location where the residency is since they, as we said, won't be able to visit out of the gate here this year. And I, I confess, I've never been to Southfield. I, I visited Detroit a few times and some of the areas of southern Michigan near the uh, Indiana and Illinois border, but I have not been to Southfield. Can you give our listeners a sense of uh, what life is like there and what kinds of things the residents do in their off time? Uh Detroit, I, I guess, is one of the most underrated city in America. Used to be uh, one of the cultural center maybe 50, 60 years ago. But there's been a renaissance. There is a, the metro, Detroit, has a 4.5 to 5 million people. So it's really a huge place. And it has the biggest Arabic population. So you are introduced to... Uh, the, all the Arabic cultures and food. It has got all the major, you know, uh, games. The the uh, the uh, the basketball, the hockey, the uh, baseball, and the the soccer, uh, football. So we have all that. Uh, we got uh, many different kinds of uh, restaurant because, after all, it's a melting pot of all different cultures. From uh, from the because it's a model city, we have a, a huge Japanese contingent, so we got amazing uh, Chinese, uh, you know, uh, uh, Japanese restaurants, Ethiopian restaurant, you name it. There is a, a, a center where you you can uh, 
enjoy the different cultures uh, that Detroit has to offer. Um, the living expense is very inexpensive, uh, it, but you are close to one of the most beautiful places in, in America, the Great Lakes. Uh, there's plenty full of uh, outdoor uh, activities that you can have. So in a setting of 4.5 million people around you with a melting pot of many different cultures and a wonderful uh, natural setting. Uh, the, uh, Southfield is just outside of Detroit. The uh, eight mile is the, the border of Detroit. We are on the ninth mile. So we get a spectrum of uh, patients coming in, uh, diverse, diversity and disparity. Your education will be second to none because of its location and the volumes that you see and the population that you serve, 4.5 million people. Well, Dr. Sue, we appreciate your time and we want to thank you so much for coming on the show today to share with our listeners and the applicants this year everything about the inner workings of Ascension Providence Hospital. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much, John. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Here we are with another installment in our residency spotlights for the 2021-22 virtual interview season. Today, we are delighted to be joined again by a friend of the show, Dr. Dan Resnick. Dr. Resnick is here tonight in his capacity as the program director at the uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison. He is, of course, a friend of the show. As we said, he was on in the past talking about patient-reported outcomes and satisfaction scores and what utility they may actually have. Dr. Resnick has a storied career. He's been the president of the spine section, the CNS, North American Spine Society. So we are just delighted that he's giving us his time tonight for you, our listeners, the applicants this year, to talk about the program there in Madison. Dr. Resnick, I'm going to start uh, stop talking about you and, and let you talk a bit about yourself if you want to say hello to our listeners. Welcome back to the show. Well, thanks, John, for having me. I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about um, our program. Um, obviously, I'm very proud of it, and uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Great. Well, proud as you should be. With, with that in mind, why don't you take a moment to tell our listeners who won't have a chance to come to the campus and visit in person this year a little bit about what the program's like, how is it structured, and What's your sense of the culture of the program from the inside? Well, the programs, I, I've been here for uh, 23 years, and uh, Bob Dempsey, who's our chair, was here for several for five mm. or 10 years before that. And uh, he's really done a great job in, in building a, a program which is really built on three pillars. Uh, the first is uh, clinical excellence, the second, second is education, and the third is, is, is research. And, and we don't just pay lip service to these things. These, these are inbred in the culture uh, of the department. Um, the, um, we are housed at uh, the University of Wisconsin in Madison, Wisconsin, which is a, a true gem in the upper Midwest, and we can talk a little more about that uh, later. But terms, in terms of the program itself, we currently have uh, 16 full-time faculty. We are, are doing about 5,000 cases per year. Our residents generally finish between 16 and 1,800 cases uh, by the time they're finished their chief year. And we have really a, 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 a broad and deep um, a lineup. Um, I would uh, put our uh, in our pediatric session, we have three full-time pediatric neurosurgeons. Uh, we have uh, uh, three full-time and two part-time spine surgeons. We have three open vascular surgeons. We have three endovascular surgeons. We have uh, a very good functional neurosurgeon. And, uh, and uh, uh, Mustafa Biscay, our skull base surgeon, um, is, uh, is, is one of the all-time stars uh, in skull base surgery uh, in North, North America uh, and worldwide uh, these days. So I'd put our spine, vascular, endovascular, and skull base program, as well as PEDS, you know, really up against any any program in the country in terms of clinical productivity as well as um, academic productivity. 
Um, um, absolutely. And, and, you know, Dr. Resnick, as you pointed out, with, with two leaders in your program, yourself and Dr. Dempsey, who have been at the helm for so long, I, I feel it must be a strong and, as you said, a deeply bred-in culture that surrounds those pillars you talked about. And so I imagine also, with the two of you at the helm for so long, you've been able to generate a very consistent culture and personality within your residency cohort. Maybe you could talk a bit about what the personalities are like in your current residence pool, and therefore, what kind of people are you looking for this year to join well, you? That's sort of a, a bit, of a, a bit of a trick question. It's sort of like you know, well, you know, you know, what kind of children do you like? You know, because uh, you know, <laughs> you know, we sort of adopt right. these folks for, for for a number of years, and you know, we we love them all, but we we love them all differently. And um, yeah, the uh, the mm. um, the residents, you know, are really uh, for us a special group. They, they, they I think the best thing that is about them is, is their esprit de corps. They, they really do um, take care of each other. It, it's remarkable how much they hang out, each other, hang out with each other outside of the hospital and outside of the, uh, of, of, uh, of, of, you know, uh, academic um, uh, uh, pursuits. Um, we have a, a, a very lively um, a group. None of them are at all afraid to speak their mind, uh, which sometimes can be a pain in the butt. But uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's open exchange, uh, very casual amongst the residents. It's, it's rare for people to call me Dr. Resnick, you know, unless there's a patient present or, you know, an administrator or something like that. Um, it's, it's, uh, we have a lot of fun with, uh, with, our, with our journal clubs. Um, and uh, we, we basically what we're looking for are folks who work well in teams, uh, but also have some uh, personal adroitness. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of, of athletes and musicians and, and people with um, technical backgrounds and or, or really any any excellence uh, in, 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 in really any field that requires uh, dedication, um, resilience, and perseverance uh, uh, to succeed in. So you know whether you're a Division one athlete, Division three athlete, a triathlete, you uh, are a you know world class pianist or um, an artist. You know any of those things I think really sort of enhance. Um, enhance your application one of our one of our current uh, interns is a, is, a, is a her hobby is opera singing and uh, we happen to have a, we happen to have a, wow. a karaoke night for uh for journal club recently and she uh i did not i i had forgotten she was an opera singer but uh, uh <laughs> needless to say you soon yeah, were reminded to I say, bet. it was quite obvious who was the class in the crowd <laughs> that's phenomenal i i would love that sign me up if i'm ever in <laughs> town welcome. um you know, and I, and I wonder, thinking about, as you said, these personalities and these strong individuals with these skills that they bring, I wonder if you could talk a bit about the opportunities for that individual expression during residency. What kind of things do people do with elective time? How do they branch out and make the residency their well, own? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. And what, what I would do is I would encourage applicants to take a look at our website where there's a block schedule. If you look at our block schedule, you notice it's different than most block schedules around the country. Instead of a dedicated year or two years to research, uh, the uh, 24 months of elective slash research time is scattered throughout the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth years. And what that does, that was initially designed to enable somebody to um, have time over a period of years to advance a lab, a, a wet lab research project. So when you start a, a lab research project, you often have to figure out, you know, it takes a couple months to figure out what you're going to do. You have to find a mentor. You have to file all the permission slips for animal research. You have to buy your, your reagents and all that time can take a couple of months. So the idea was to have a short, one or two short blocks early on in residency where you could sort of get the groundwork taken care of, get your background research done, get your approvals. 
then go back on service for a couple months while all that stuff sort of works its way through the system. And then you come back, do the bulk of the work in your, you know, say, you know, late fourth, early fifth year. Um, and then as things get cleaned up, you have one more, you know, uh, break later on in residency to finish up the writing and, 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 and get it completed. But as a, but what we have found is that the system also allows me a great deal of flexibility in terms of playing Tetris with those blocks. And because yeah. of this, we've been able to enable residents to do a, a wide variety of different things. Um, not all residents are the same. People have different wants and needs and goals and plans. Um, we've had residents who have spent substantial time overseas in resource uh, poor uh, areas uh, learning about world neurosurgery. We've had residents who have gotten uh, MPH degrees uh, uh, in clinical trial design. We had a resident go to the University of Chicago and get a master's in um, health ethics. Um, you know, and as a functional neurosurgeon, you can imagine, you know, the, 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 the utility of, of, of that type of thing. We still have residents who spend time in the wet labs, and we also have residents who do enfolded fellowships. We offer enfolded fellowships in spine and endovascular. And if that's what a resident wants to do, it's, it's fairly easy to move those blocks around uh, to, um, uh, to make it happen. There, there are really only three rules to, to, you know, doing something like that. The first rule is that you have to convince me that it makes sense. And that's probably the hardest thing to do. The second rule is that um, there has to be some sort of academic product that comes out of it, a paper, a degree, a um, certificate, something like that. And the third rule is that you can't um, rain on your littermates parade. So you can't, you can't have all the glory while, while, while your classmate or your littermate or your, or your fellow residents are cleaning up the mess. It has to be done in a way that everybody gets to do what they want to do. And I, I must say that I'm actually extraordinarily pleased that before the residents approached me, they generally worked out the second two um, uh, uh, issues uh, before they come to speak with me because they, they know that I'm going to ask them uh, about that. And the residents really do take care of each other. Um, they, they, they will um, – you know, these things are – like I said, these things are, are almost always worked out well before the resident even approaches me uh, for, for whatever their project is. Right. Well, Dr. Resnick, as we reach the end of this conversation – um, I, I know at least within your undergraduate, your medical, your training background, you're an East Coast guy. And uh, like you, I was an East Coast guy that came to the Midwest and have been bitten by the charms of the, of the area, the location. I spent time up and down Wisconsin and in in upstate in Milwaukee. I have not, I confess, made it to Madison, although I've heard from Dr. Wang's son, Patrick, that it's a wonderful town. He's having a great time. Maybe for our listeners who haven't had a chance to visit and who won't have a chance to visit with the virtual interviews this year, you can talk a bit about what life is like there, what kinds of things the residents do outside the hospital. Well, the, the biggest transition for me when I first arrived here from the East Coast was I, 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 it's really taken me a long time to realize that people actually, uh, when they smile and say hello to you, they're not all, all the time asking for money. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, people will hold the door for you. They, they say, hello. It's, 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 it's really strange. I found myself crossing the street unnecessarily many times early in my stay here, but I've kind of got, kind of gotten <laughs> used to it. Um, the, this area, the, the, the Madison's a gem of, of a town. It's on an isthmus between two beautiful lakes. Water sports are easily available uh, all summer in the wintertime. It's going to be ice sports. Uh, we do have winter here. Um, it's real winter. It's not, it's not the, um, a snowmageddon in, uh, in in Houston or or the quarter inch in uh, Washington D.C. We, we we have real wind, we have real snow, and so we have real winter sports. We cross country ski. I own a fat tire bike, which my wife and I take out on the lake uh, to to, pe to pedal around. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. The biking here is absolutely spectacular. Um, the nightlife here there there's a t for a town this size there's tons of music. Now of course we don't have the Club Eleven like Miami, but uh, we we have our own. 
our own clubs with our own charms. Wonderful. Well, I, I must say, having having spoken with probably north of 30 or 40 programs at, at this point through the series, I, I think the uh, the comparison between Pittsburgh and Madison and that transition has been a high point for me. So, Dr. Resnick, I, I know our listeners and the applicants this year appreciate your time coming on to give an inside look at the program there at Madison. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. Thank you for show. having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.